You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we're back on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He is Steve Geller. In this segment, we're going to dive in a bit more on Clint Kubiak, more specifically, Clint Kubiak, Andrew Janoko, Rick Dennison. Clancy Barone was there prior to 2021, but he was gone by that point. So they did cross paths, but they're not there yet. And we don't have a, you know, there, there's a few more hires that do need to happen. As of recording this podcast, we don't know them yet. I would be surprised if we don't get a couple more names coming in this week. Um, and so hopefully by Wednesday, when we record the second episode of this week, we'll have some of those names. Uh, Keith Williams is, is had interviewed a former Ravens assistant, or I think he's a current Ravens assistant uh, for the wide receivers coach position. I think that was Nick Underhill who reported that. So that's a name that to watch in terms of maybe that's the next one that comes out. But either way, you still need, you know, because I, I think Rick Dennison is coming in as the run game coordinator. It doesn't sound like he's coming in as the our running backs coach. Now, it's tough to say right now what his actual title will be. But if that's the case, then you do still need to hire a running backs coach. John Benton is supposed to be the offensive line coach. He's the longtime coach in the NFL. Uh, very high praise from people who talk about him. Mike Dettelier is a big fan of his. Um, and I don't think Mike Dettelier was a particularly big fan of Doug Marone. So, you know, he's not, he's not, not afraid to, to, to critique some, some coaching. And then, obviously, Andrew Janoko is Janoko Janako. I don't know. I, I need to figure out how to say his name correctly. But he's going to be the quarterbacks coach. And I think there was one more. Oh, Clancy Brown's going to stick around as the tight ends coach, and and then Clint Kubiak. So yeah, everything from I've seen to or heard, I guess I'd say should say is Janoko. So you're right. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Well, we'll we'll find out. But either way, you know, and and this kind of goes back to what I was saying is, it, it's people are looking at. Clint Kubiak coming from the Kyle Shanahan scheme. And I've said this a few times. People are kind of talking about it like, okay, it's just going to be a clone of the 49ers offense. He's going to come in. He's going to do all these things. Like Alvin Kamara is going to be the Chris McCaffrey and Taysom Hill is going to be whatever. And I don't know. Like, I think, I think there, people are underestimating the influence that 
the Vikings year and and what he learned as a member of the Vikings and on and Gary Kubiak who installed that offense and he took it over from him how how he's going to marry those two things together like I think it's going to be Kyle Shanahan elements and there's going to be some stuff that he picked up in Denver right but it's all going to be it's all going to be combined into this new offense and it's not just going to be as simple as saying well this is how Kyle did it I'm going to do it that way this is how Gary did it I'm going to do it that way like Clint needs to build his own offense and so that's what I wanted to talk to Luke Braun about. He's the host of Lockdown Vikings. He was covering the team in 2021. So I figured it would just be a good, a good way to get some insight into how they felt, how the Vikings felt about that season, right? Like, cause I'm sure like if you went out, if you went on a podcast with the Broncos and they were like, Oh, tell me about Pete Carmichael. And everyone there is like, wow, we're reuniting Pete Carmichael with Sean Payton. They had all these great years together. It's going to be a dream. And you're like, yeah, well, Pete kind of sucked here <laughs> you know and, and it's not like not, that's kind of mean but like he as the offensive coordinator he was flailing right and so it, it kind of does feel similar to that right so that's why and i think but i think that's important because you're going to hear a lot of a lot of positivity around clinton as there should be but there's also you know some things we need to talk about uh and so let's listen to that interview with uh, with Luke Braun, and uh, and we'll, we'll talk about it when it's done. You know, I was going through a few of Luke's old podcasts talking about Clint Kubiak and some of the hires, and uh, my favorite thing, Luke, is your intro because you say, and the kid you copied off in math class. Uh, so I have to ask, are, are you a math wizard? Is that what's going on, or are you just easy to cheat off of? Uh, I was easy to cheat. I was always okay with you if you <laughs> cheated off me because I figured you're probably learning something anyways. Um, that's actually that's not the tagline anymore. Oh, okay. Now we uh, now we try to learn something new every day. That's the deal because I I think I've kind of moved away from the the like math based analysis stuff. It's still there. It's still useful. It's still use it, but I'm a little more X's and O's now. Gotcha. Well, yeah, and it, Luke, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on here is, uh, you know. There's really it's tough to get a lot of information about Clint Kubiak over the last two years, mm-hmm. where he was a quarterbacks coach in Denver, and then he was the pass game specialist. I don't even know what that technically means in San Francisco. Very behind the scenes at the at the least. But you go back to Minnesota, and you know I've been watching old Clint Kubiak interviews. You can really kind of dive in to what his offense did over the course of the season. I'm just curious, you know, what were your kind of uh, opinions of Clint in that job? What were your takeaways? How did you feel he handled it? Yeah, he was very um, green. Yeah, I mean, that was his first time calling plays. That was his first time going. He, was, he had one year as a quarterback's coach. He was basically an offensive assistant otherwise. So he was very green. He was working with an offense that Gary Kubiak had installed and then, you know, run for two years and then retired. And he was basically flying a, a plane that he didn't build, which I, I'll be honest with you. The, the offense that the Saints have gotten all their staffers from, the Denison, Janoko, Kubiak trio, was really bad. It was, it was a terrible offense. And who you blame for that is going to kind of inform your opinion. Maybe you think that it's just because Mike Zimmer stifled all these great offensive minds. But really what it turned into was a the Vikings had a pretty big offensive line problem for that couple of years. And um, that was, by the way, Rick Dennison as a line coach, although he wasn't really present in 2021 right. for vaccine reasons. He wasn't allowed to be in the building because he wouldn't take the shot. So there, that was a whole controversy. Um, and then he, you know, gets, he leaves when everybody gets fired at the end of the, at the end of 2021. Um, but th- there were issues on the offensive line in particular in pass protection. And so the Vikings relied a ton on quick game three-step drop, one-step drop, throw fast, try to get the ball into, you know, you know, Dalvin Cook's hands quick, Adam Thielen's hands quick, trying to get things to uh, 
Justin Jefferson deep when you have a shot play and that kind of thing. And, and Jefferson had a phenomenal year in 2021 kind of being the payoff to all of this quick game setup. But it meant that it was a very um, – it was it was a boring offense, except when you were going to Jefferson. So the, the narrative kind of became, why don't we make the whole plane out of Justin Jefferson, which I think you can kind of ask anybody and understand why that wouldn't work. But it was um, – they were trying to be very, you know, quick and easy four yards a pop in their pass game and then kind of live in the run behind Dalvin Cook because they felt like, you know, that line was going to be better at run blocking than it was at pass blocking, which is very, very true. Um but what, what that ended up making for was this sort of critical lack of diversity. And that's kind of a Gary Kubiak thing, like on purpose. You'll see uh, Kevin Stefanski do that, who also learned under Kubiak. You'll see him do that in, in Cleveland, which is very like, we have four things on our menu and, and they're all delicious. You know, if you ever go to a restaurant, you see four things on the menu, you know, every single one of them is fantastic. Kind of that deal where we can just execute these things so well that we don't really care if you know that it's coming or not. Um, but then the Vikings weren't that good at executing and they weren't that well coached. So on, on the offensive side of the ball, and that was under Clint Kubiak and then with Janoko at quarterbacks and, and Dennison zooming in sometimes <laughs> on Wednesday meetings, uh, that was just not a very well coached offense and everybody kind of got canned. Now what I'll say is guys like Janoko and Kubiak that are young, have gone away and probably learned a lot in two years. Like I would imagine that spending a year on Kyle Shanahan's offense could change a lot about what Clint Kubiak thinks is good or isn't good. So I'm actually super curious to see what kind of strategies he tries to deploy with, with Derek Carr or whoever. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, just to kind of infer, or I guess you kind of said it, if, if the Clint Kubiak that was in Minnesota shows up in New Orleans, like the doing the same things and with the same philosophies, you, you think that would be a, a bad thing for the Saints. You you want to see a guy who has spent those two years in lesser roles and has learned from some of these coaches, some of these systems. I'll, I'll reframe it. I think it would be really important to be a very mistake-free team, and that could potentially paper over deficiencies in talent. I think that's really the philosophy there, is if we do the same thing over and over and we're very sound and we don't F anything up, then it probably doesn't matter that these guys, you know, that, that my guy didn't run the best 40 or whatever. But looking at who the Saints have, I'm not sure if that's necessarily the way to go. I would look in particular in the run game and to see what, what the Saints want to do with that because they'll probably be a zone run game. Guy goes from, you know, learning under Gary Kubiak, who's like the offensive coordinator of those old Broncos teams, and, you know, the, in, in the fatherland of, of wide zone – and then goes into Shanahan, who's the father of modern wide zone stuff. So I'm sure he's got a lot of zone stuff. And, and what I'd be curious to see is how much you see out of you know, fullbacks or extra tight end. What he does with Taysom Hill will be very interesting. Is Taysom Hill a fullback now? A tight end? Some of both? I'd be very curious to see if you get a little bit more diversity and then you don't have to be the team that isn't allowed to make any mistakes because everybody we have is, you know, because our guard is just going to get killed if we ever ask him to do anything real. <laughs> Gotcha. You know, my other question, I, I think if you want to look at a player comparable to Derek Carr, I think Kirk Cousins is is a fair comparison, at least in today's NFL with, you know, a decade of experience, has, has never really had a ton of success in the playoffs, but puts up a bunch of yards. And you look at that 2021 season, sure. and if you just look at the numbers, it does seem like 
the Clint Kubiak offense did work for Kirk. I think it was 4,200 yards, 33 touchdowns, seven interceptions. What were your kind of opinions on how Kirk worked with Clint? So, unfortunately, it was very inconsistent, which okay. I just kind of described why that's not very acceptable, and that's why the Vikings ended up, what was it, 8-9 and nine that year? Yeah. And, and out of the playoffs. So it was inconsistent. There were a couple of games where it's, he was just on fire. If you really want to watch that offense hum, watch the game at L.A. and then the home game right after it uh, against Green Bay. Those two games were absolutely phenomenal. And it felt like, oh, my God, they're finally figuring it out. But then by the end of the season, they had kind of fallen back down. There are a couple of games in there, um, in particular one where the Vikings lost to the Cowboys against Cooper Rush, where it, that offense was just anemic. They could not move the ball at all. And they made all kinds of mistakes, and they just – so it was a week-to-week proposition for sure. Um, but there were a lot of, you know, shot plays to Justin Jefferson, and suddenly J.J.'s putting up 200 a game sometimes, and it's pretty easy to rack up some yards that way. But I, there's a lot of reasons to caution against saying, hmm, 4,200 yards must have been a good offense. Uh, and part of it is that, you know, if, if you have eight really great games and eight really bad games, you can get 4,000 yards, but did you have a good season? Plus, there's a lot of statistical reasons that total yards just aren't the best thing. But I won't bore you with that. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Yeah, thanks again for to Luke Braun for coming on. And I mean, again, well, like we said going in, some pretty critical analysis there of, you know, the the trio that we're talking about, which is Clint Kubiak, Andrew Janoko as quarterback's coach, and Rick Dennison as senior offensive assistant, consultant, whatever. The, right. the issue there is he refused to take the vaccine back in 2021. And the NFL had a lot of rules at that point about what you could do if you were vaccinated versus what you could do if you were unvaccinated. And so basically he was taken out of a role where he had direct contact with the team. Right. And, and like, you can, you can debate that all day long. It's what happened. Um, and so it's hard to really figure out what his role was or was supposed to be with that team but it was not as expansive as they initially planned. Like we listened to an interview with Kubiak in the last episode where he talked about how he was looking forward to working with Rick specifically because he's this veteran NFL mind. He's well-respected. I think he was the offensive line coach prior to that. So I think that's where you kind of have Rick Dennison coming in to be like the running backs wizard slash offensive, like to help get the running game going is, is, is what you're hoping for with Rick. And that is something that the Vikings really relied on heavily with Dalvin Cook in this in this offense. Now, the the quote that I will point to that I think he's Lucas spot on with is that Clint was flying a plane that he didn't build. And I think that's a great way to put it, because when Clint took over the Vikings offense, Gary Kubiak had installed it. Gary Kubiak had drilled it. It was Gary's offense and Clint was just kind of watching and learning how to run it. And when he took it over, he was coaching this offense, this installed offense, game plan, whatever. But I don't think he necessarily understood it at its core. 
And when you're, you know, it's like, for example, it's like, oh, you're flying a plane you didn't build. We'll stick with that. Well, what happens when the plane starts to break? How are you going to fix something that you didn't put together in the first place? You don't understand how the pieces fit together. So how can you fix it? And I think that's what fell apart inevitably with Clint. The other thing he pointed to is it's a very small menu. And, you know, I think that's something that is interesting. And when we talk about, okay, what are the influences going to be between the Vikings and the, and the Gary Kubiak scheme and, and now the Kyle Shanahan scheme, which is this massive offense and all these plays. And, like, wh- where do you kind of split the difference there? Because if you're comfortable with a small menu and precision, that is, that's your basis is we don't do it. We don't do this crazy amount of stuff. We don't have this massive game plan, but we nail our game plan. And we do these, like you said, these four things, but we do them at an exceptionally high level. Now, what Luke said is they didn't do things at an exceptionally high level. And that's where you struggled because your plan was to execute people to death. And then the execution wasn't very good. And it wasn't well coached offense. And maybe COVID had something to do with that. Maybe the limited practice time had something to do with that. Either way, these are the things that, as you look at Clint and you say, okay, what is he going to bring in? How is he going to install this offense? I think those are the things that you're concerned with if he shows up and does not have kind of that handle on things the way that he, you would, if, as Luke explains it, he did not in 2021 with the Vikings. Yeah, I appreciate just a different point of view because I've mentioned it's like you don't want to keep hearing from everybody, oh, it's such a wonderful hire, great guy, this and that. So obviously there, there were some issues, but that, that year in Minnesota – the offense wasn't completely a cluster bomb kind of thing. It, it, it was productive. They were 2001, what, put up 25 points a game in the top half of the the, the league, at least, in points scored. So it wasn't like a complete uh, failure, I would say, with the Vikings. Yeah, you know, and, and that was the other thing he talked about. And I, yeah, I asked him about Kirk Cousins, right, in the 2021 yeah. Kirk Cousins season. 4,200 yards, 33 touchdowns, seven interceptions. You know, it sounds, you know, it's, it's like, oh, that's a pretty good season. But I kind of almost look at it like Derek Carr's season this year. Okay. Right? Where you look at it and you say, yeah, the numbers at the end of the year looked solid, but is it a product of being consistent and having a good season or is it a product of having eight good games and eight bad games? So that's what that's what Luke said is it was like, you know, you would have these really good games, but you also had a game, uh, you had a win over the Bears where – you went 12 of 24 for 87 yards, <laughs> you know, uh, you had, you had another game, you know, an overtime loss to the Ravens. He completed 60% of his passes for 187 yards and two touchdowns. You lost that game the next week, 184 yards and a touchdown, and a loss to the Cowboys, the Cooper rush like Cowboys. You lost that game. Then the next week, an OT win over the Panthers. He threw for, he threw about 48 times, 373 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. You know, the, the end of the season or the end of the end of Kirk seasons. I think he missed one game here. You had uh, kind of the same as you had Derek this year. So like he made his season look a lot better with first three games on his list. He started really well. So two, two losses, but 351 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, 244 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, 323 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, right? That Panthers game is another one. So, but in between that, you had really sketchy games. So it's it's it is it was a lack of consistency that really did that team in. And you can get lost in the in the overall numbers and say yeah. and lose that perspective. And it's the same thing with Derek Carr, right? You look at Derek Carr's final numbers this year, and you would say, well, he had a solid season. So why are we complaining so much? It's because there was a run in the middle of the season that 
it, the inconsistency at the quarterback position was, if not costing you games, making it much more difficult for you to win games. You look at the loss to the Texans, where you really did nothing in the first half. The loss to the Jaguars, where you really did nothing in the first half. The loss to the Lions, where, you know, obviously there was that turnover and that wasn't necessarily on Derek Carr, but you also had three straight three and outs after that turnover, right? The game, the one over the Titans, right? You did nothing in the first half. The one against the Panthers, you really did nothing in the first half. Against the Falcons, you moved the ball, but you threw a key interception in the first half. So, and it was a pick six, right? So like there were, like you can you can look at the numbers and kind of get blinded to the fact that it's like yeah there were some really good games but there were also some you know just come on guy like you you need consistency out of a veteran quarterback and I don't think you got that out of Kirk in 2021 and I don't think you got that out of Derek in 2023 so as much as you want to look at it and say well he did tease a very good statistical season out of Kirk Cousins you would look at that and say well I need the I need the like the, the ceiling is great, but the floor is too low. Like I need a baseline of much more consistent quarterback play. And so hopefully you're able to get that this time around. And, and yeah. And I think the other thing is you ended up, that offense ended up being so much about throw it to Justin Jefferson, yeah. you know? And I think that's part of the reason Kirk's numbers did end up seeming a little inflated because yeah, he was throwing to Justin Jefferson constantly. What I'm curious too, uh, you know, with the Saints, even you mentioned which stats. Uh, how, how did this Saints squad end up with the ninth best scoring offense this past season? It, it seems to blow my mind. I just don't get it. And even with that nice run they did have at the end of the year, I didn't think they'd be elevated that highly uh, come the when you look at the end of season numbers. I mean, they dropped 48 points in the final game of the season. That helps. Yeah, I guess so. Right. Well, I mean, they work pretty consistently in the 20s, right? And I think, you know, uh, but like, again, like if one stat I would love to see is like if you were able to break down the top scoring offense from first half and second half, because in in terms of games, right? So like I now I, I could go do this. It would take forever. I'm sure someone statistically would be able to call this a lot faster than me. But I assure you that if you looked at, the top scoring first half offenses, the Saints would be toward the bottom. Right. And if you looked at the top scoring second half offenses, the Saints would be toward the top. And now that's not necessarily a bad thing that you are more effective in the second half. But in 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 many instances, it's because you're behind and you're playing from behind. And so you have to put up points and you have to put up yards and you have to throw the ball all over the yard. And And the Saints were really good at coming back in games. But they weren't good at getting out ahead in games. And like we talked about in the last episode, you know, the opening script thing, the first 15 plays, if you're better in that part of the game and you are a good second half team, then that's a, that's a recipe to win double digit 11, 12 games, right? Being bad in the first half and then being constantly forced to rally and roll a boulder up a hill. And sometimes you get it over the top and a lot of times it rolls back down on you. That's how you end up eight and nine, nine and eight, right? Like that's why that's how you end up mired in that middle of the road, just hoping to win tiebreakers to get in situation because you will inevitably have bad luck. And the example of that is in Green Bay. That's a game you should have won, but that's terrible luck, right? You lost your quarterback early in the third quarter. You had these long pass interference penalties. 
you know, Jordan Love got hot at the end of the game and you lost. Like, like that's just going to happen. You're going to have games that get away from you because of bad luck, because of a bad call, because of a bad turnover. They really had no control over. The ball tips off somebody's hands. Jawan Johnson against the Lions. Like, those types of things happen. You can't say, well, if those didn't happen, we would have been better because in any NFL season, you have to bake in those types of bad luck situations. And if you're constantly having to play perfect, and those bad luck situations are going to swing results because you didn't give yourself enough margin for error, then that's on you. And I think that's what happened with the Saints this year. Like that, the game against the Packers, they were up 17 nothing in the fourth quarter and they blew that lead. They should have been up more than that, right? They should have been up 20, 24 nothing. And if you are, you win that game. So, yeah, I, I don't know if that answers your question or I, I'm not even sure what the question was at this point. But I think that's that's the thing that you need to see is consistency, particularly early in games. It's the scoring scoring offense is what we're talking about. No, totally agree. And I think I forget who you had the conversation with in the locker room. It was like, oh, yeah, you know, sometimes at the half, we really start getting into conversations and, the you know, can get heated. It's, you know, words are said, Get guys stay a little. It might have been Tyron Matthew. It was that Tyron. said, You know, yeah. You, you get things get, you know, a little tense and people end up responding in the second half. It's like, well, can you have those harsh words before the game starts to maybe fire everybody up? I don't know. Right. Where's that urgency? But, but to me, that was more of a defensive issue in terms of starting fast. I think the offense was a different issue and it was a lot more schematic and it was a lot more uh, kind of being the aggressor and being, in the right situations and on the right foot. And like, as you get, as you get through the game, the ability to adjust is great. Like the ability to adjust and say, this is how they're defending us. We need to do this and this and this better. But like, why aren't you going into the game with that type of information? (laughs) Do you you recall what was the game we visibly saw Derek Carr kind of throw his hissy fit? Well, there was two. So one was in Houston and that was the one he yelled at Pete Carmichael. These are back-to-back weeks. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. The next one when he kind of got on Olave. They were within a week of each other. Okay. Right? So one was Sunday in Houston. And then the next one was Thursday in Jackson, against Jacksonville at home. Yeah. And so the first one was, it was late in the game. He came off the field. He was yelling. He said he wasn't yelling at Pete. He was yelling in the direction of Pete, whatever that means. You know, <laughs> uh, either way, it was not a good look. And that was, so it's funny because that was more of a social media thing. I don't think that was actually on the broadcast, but that was tweeted and there was a video okay. that circulated. Um, and we never heard what he was saying. It was hard to kind of even like lip read because it was a cell phone video from the stands. The right. next week was against the Jaguars and it was the play that Chris Olave, I think he was supposed to be running a clear out. He kind of ran it. I don't know. I wouldn't say half speed, but it wasn't full speed, right? It wasn't like he was, yeah. he was selling it and Derek got pissed off and, and yelled at him, uh, threw the ball out of bounds. And then that was the, that was the play that Mike Thomas, that was the, that was the initial play that prompted Mike Thomas first, first right Twitter jab at Derek Carr. Yeah. Now, there have been several since then, but that was the <laughs> impetus for the first one. And yeah. And I think that was the, yeah. Anyway, there was just some tough times in the early goings. Yeah. There were some ugly to say the least in that season. And I think it got away from people and that's why you ended up firing Cody Burns and, you know, whether you have a whole new, you're going to have a whole new offensive staff because I think it got away from uh, from people, and that's going to be something Derek Carr needs to figure out. It's going to be something Chris Olave needs to figure out. It did seem like they got on the same wavelength as the season went on. It didn't seem like something that festered between them, at least. Right. It, it never carried like on. It did seem like something that festered between Derek and Mike. 
but it didn't seem like something that festered between Derek and Chris. And that's what I would be more worried about in terms of, okay, this next season coming up, because it did, it did seem like those guys got, got back on the same page and were pulling the same direction and that you're going to need that. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully we see a lot. I don't want to say a, a better well, well-oiled machine next year with this offense, because there were just a lot of times I, I didn't understand between the play calling or, or uh, didn't understand uh, execution, didn't it fell through kind of thing. It was, Overall, it was just a a big lump of, you know, big reason why Carmichael we've we've talked about isn't around anymore. Things weren't smooth here, and best of luck in Denver to him as uh, Sean's uh, right hand man again. I guess agreed. And based on you know, if you if you want to take what Luke said, speaking for Vikings reporters, analysts, whatever, it sounds like they have the same. Uh, they would say the same thing about the Clint Kubiak. Kubiak 2021 experience. Gotcha, yeah. So take that for what it is. You know, I like all I can do is to give you that information. I, I'm not telling you he's right or wrong. I'm just saying this is his, what he observed and what he believes about that offense. And, you know, we'll see how it pans out. But either way, thanks, Luke, for for coming on. Check him out, uh, Luke Braun on Lockdown Vikings. I don't know if you really want to hear about Justin Jefferson or whatever, anything like this. I don't don't know. Who knows (laughs) if they're able to bring him back? Yeah, that's going to be a question. Yeah, and uh, it's going to be you know him and Kirk, right? That's a that's another situation that is like I think that Justin supports Kirk, but you know how much does he support Kirk? (laughs) You know, Um, because that's been his quarterback his entire career. So and he's no this and. They've they've done some really good things together. Yeah, and this has been uh, so far, at least to me, a rough off season leading up to the draft and free agency for Saints fans. Just because I'm hearing everything from Justin Fields, Kirk Cousins, and even uh, Jaden Daniels as possible quarterback options in Atlanta, and I don't like any of that for Saints fans. Obviously, nope, nope. Well, we'll see. But all right, let's wrap up this thing. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about some free agency stuff. Uh, we've identified a few players that we would be interested in looking at if we were, you know, if we're, if we're in Saints, if we're on airline, like writing down a few names of like, yeah, let's take a look at this guy. Let's take a, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about those guys, you know, and break down some positions that, that we sh- that the Saints should probably target at the very least, whether it be free agency or the draft uh, to address. So this is Inside Black and Gold. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't done that already. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Noak. You can follow Steve at Steve Geller WWL. And of course, ring the bell on YouTube at WWL Sports. We will be right back. 